actions. Lord, I pray once again that we might be led to Jesus through the study and through the scripture, and that and, and we might be led to him through community and be given the wisdom to live our lives in light of that those relationships. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's jump in. Um, we return to Luke 24, the, the chapter we've been in every week. Luke 24, and just remember the setting. We've looked at it every week. You have two disciples. They're walking down the road. This guy shows up, amazes them with his knowledge of the Scripture and how he says it was all leading up to something. Um, and, and, and so they, they're hanging out with him. Um, and we pick up in verse 28 of Luke 24. It says, They approached the village where they were going. He acted as if he was going to go further. And they urged him, Hey, stay with us because it's getting late. You know, you know, there's deer out. You don't want to hit a deer or something. I think that's how they said it. Um, and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he reclined at the table, he took the bread. He blessed it, breaking it. He began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened. They recognized it was Jesus, and he vanished from their sight. And they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Okay, so Jesus explaining the scriptures, goes break some, break some bread, and they're like, oh, it's you. How did we not know that? Um, if you follow that story, and we've done this, we've read this, you know, these two disciples, they go back to the others, and they, they're, 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 they're so excited. They're like, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. So um, Jesus pops in because he's cool like that. He can go where he wants. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, Jesus said to them, have you have, do you have anything to eat? Do you have anything to eat? And they, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it. He ate it before them. And then he said, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the scriptures, in the, you know, we talked about the Tanakh ordering, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, the prophets and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. And so, here's my point, and I'm going to show you more evidence of this. This is how we know Jesus was a Baptist. Because he was hungry all the time. Okay? Let, let, me, let me show you. John 6 a large crowd is following him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Jesus went up on a mountain, sat down with his disciples. The feast of, of the Jews, the Passover is near. And Jesus is like, hey, um, there's this crowd here. Where are we going to buy bread so that these may eat? Um, and I love, you know, Jesus is one of those guys that he, he comes to the potluck, but he didn't bring anything. He's like, hey, where, where, where's the bread at? There's two instances of feeding of the multitude, and both times. He didn't have anything, just saying. Um, John 21, they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire, they placed fish, uh, they, they saw a fire, and there was already fish there, and Jesus is sitting there, and some bread. But Jesus still, he's like, hey, I want some of your fish. I want some of the fish that you caught, bring it over. And then P Peter went over, he got, you know, there's a bunch of uh, fish there, and then Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. How many of y'all's Sunday school classes have to have breakfast? Just saying. Um, as long as it's not fish. Exactly. Donuts, right? Donuts. Um, while they, uh, Matthew 26, you know, he's sitting down with his disciples over a meal. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. After blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to the disciples. Take, this is my body. And even in Acts 2, the disciples 
Well, they, they converted to being a Baptist, I think. They were continually devoting themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So, so again, um, I'm not really saying Jesus was a Baptist. Baptists weren't a thing until the 1600s. Um, but they break bread a lot. And it's, it's you know, they, I guess they need food to live, but why write that down so many times? Um, and there's even a commandment to us of this special breaking of bread, to do this in remembrance of me that, that Jesus commanded and the apostles write about as well, Paul writes about. And so I'm asking the question, is, is there something behind this idea of breaking bread or is it something completely different? Um, and what I really want to focus on isn't really the bread, not, not, not the meals, um, but what was going on in those situations? In Luke, those passages that we read in Luke, um, both instances, Jesus is talking about scriptural things. He's teaching about the scriptures. Um, in both John passages, right before or right after they eat, Jesus has conversations based off of scripture um, and, and stories in scripture and his teachings. Acts chapter 2, it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread, but also teaching fellowship and prayer. And then this passage in Matthew um, the Lord's Supper comes in the context of there's a big meal going on, but there was a whole lot of discussion based off of Jesus sharing off the scriptures. Um, and so the point I want to kind of make today and, and find a greater value in ourselves is that the Bible was written by a community for a community, that the Bible is communal literature. The Bible is communal literature that was written to be read aloud. It was written to be engaged in community, um, in a group. And it seems like this was what Jesus was doing a lot. You know, he would sit down and engage scripture in a group setting, in a community setting. This is one of the lessons out of the, the eight that we will experience together that really hit me um, differently. Um, when I was preparing it and studying it, there's a lot of things that I don't know, it just clicked, and maybe it will for you, or maybe you'll really uh, click with a different one, but this one really did with me. But on page two of your handout, the Bible is communal literature, and I'm kind of communicating three different things when I say that. Um, the One is that the Bible is the result of a community, a community of, of people, you know, writing and arranging and living its stories. It's not just about one person, it leads to one person. But it, it, it's the result of a, a group put this together over time. Um, a lot of different people put their thumbprint in it. It you know, kind of goes back to that human and divine partnership that we talked about. But um, it's this idea of it took a community to get the Bible to where it is at today. Um, a community of believers, of Christians, of, of God-fearing people. Um, and, and it's so cool because there, some of these people were living the stories that we read as they were being written. The other side of it is, that's one side, it was you know, created by a community, formed by a community, but the other side of it is, it was intended to be read together in community. That when they wrote the Bible, they didn't pass it out on pamphlets so that everybody could read it for themselves. No, it was intended to be read aloud in a community setting, to be heard in a community setting, um, specifically in that kind of context. It was designed to be engaged in the context of a group with others together. And then the third point, finally, as it was formed by community in order to be read by community, 
Um, the Bible was created to shape the community. Yes, it's supposed to impact your life, but it's supposed to shape the community as a whole. That was its design, its purpose. So when I say the Bible is communal literature, I mean that the Bible was formed in community, meant to be engaged in community, and designed to shape the community as a whole. That is the key context, the native setting to the Bible, to how people engage the Bible. And so we're just going to dive in. I'm going to kind of show you what I mean through all this. So in Exodus 17, you have a story where they just left the Red Sea. They're heading to Mount Sinai um, to meet with God. Um, And then all of a sudden, these random people that you've, like, who are these people? The Amaleks um, or Amalekites or however it's worded, um, they, they attack and they're trying to keep them from going to Mount Sinai. Um, this is the first time you see Joshua uh, in all the Bible. He's, you know, he pops up here. Um, and this is a story I think we've looked at, you know, 67 chapters in. That's the first recording of the Bible being written down. So in Exodus 17, it says, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And this is that story where uh, Moses is sitting on the mountaintop, and if he, if, as long as his hands are up and you know worshiping, uh, they're winning. If he drops his arms, they're losing. They propped his arms up, kind of thing. It's that story. But then the Lord said to Moses, "Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly block out the memory from of Amalek from under heaven." And so again, sixty-seven chapters in, this is the first occasion of the bible being written down but why is it being written down for two purposes here you can see one as a memorial as a to remind israel that god has made a promise that god is going to do something um a reminder of god's saving work in this instance but it wasn't written and and then you know moses wrote it all down made copies of it and passed it out and said hey remember what god's no recite it to joshua Recite it. Speak it. Let Joshua hear it. And that's important. This is the first picture if we get of the Bible being written, and it's written down so that it can be remembered and recited. Remembered and recited. Um, and some scholars in their studies think that uh, this was around the time that the first alphabet was being organized and all that, so they were just now getting to a point where they could actually write it all down. For ages... It had been passed down orally. They were, they were telling the stories. They were telling the works and the wonders of God. You know, the, the book of Genesis, they were passing it down through reciting it. Um, and so, you know, God wants this community to hear this recorded work, to hear this story about him saving his people. Um, and he wants the whole community to know this. So another place, Exodus 24 um, you know, Moses goes up on the mountain, Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. The Ten Commandments are written in the next chapter. Um, and uh, all these other commandments as well in the next few chapters. And then Moses, it says, Moses came and he recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words uh, which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning. He built an altar you know, worshipped. Um, but again, another instance. Moses wrote it all down, but they weren't reading it. 
They were hearing it together in an assembly. They were responding as a community, not an individual um, back here. And so, again, here's another picture of, of the Bible being written for, to remember some things, to guide Israel, but they were hearing it. They were being told it in a group setting. Um, so he writes it down again so it can be memorized. Um, another one's Deuteronomy uh, 13, I mean 31. Um, it says, Now therefore, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips so that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to uh, his, the sons of Israel. And it came about when Moses finished writing the words of the law in, this, in the book, um, in a, on a scroll, like we've talked about, until they were complete, um, that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law, the scroll of the law, or these scrolls, um, and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may remain there as a witness against you. Okay, so we have more pictures of Moses writing down the first scroll, the first um, pieces of the Bible, it being written. But again, you know, you go back, um, they were talking about song, singing a song, reciting it, put it on their lips, allow them to speak it, to hear it. You know, this is the picture we get when we're looking at the, the way the Bible was being written down. It's not in book form, not to be read, but to be heard and to be heard together. There's always these assemblies going on so that he can share the whole, you know, the, the, the Bible, Scripture, in a group and say it and, and recite it to the people. Um, and this, this picture, this picture or in these passages show us the beginnings of Bible study. It was in a group setting. It was in, um, in a way that you would hear it and you would be next to your neighbor. You could talk about it. Um, that's kind of the picture. But, and so... I want to kind of look at that and think about that. Um, as we go, we can see more of the community of, of biblical authors participating in the formation of the Bible. But I think we also get to see how people are shaped by it as we go, how people are hearing it together. Um, you know, why was the Bible written? We kind of talked about the la- that the last couple of weeks, and we'll come back to that again, you know, to lead us to Jesus. And that, So I'm not focusing on the why, as much as, um, you know, just the, the, how are you supposed to engage the Bible? You know, it, it was in a group setting, a community setting. And so is that the way we should engage it today? That's the question I want to kind of ask. So let me go back to bread, to meals, because once again, we're Baptists. Um, on page four of your handout, um, in Israel, there was seven specific feasts. Um, that God commanded, while they were at Mount Sinai, God commanded Israel to celebrate, to practice. Um, And so it created an an important rhythm in the culture, in the Jewish life, in the Hebrew life. And by Jesus' day, you know, these seven and and a couple others were in full full, uh, uh, force. They they were practicing these feasts. And it it um, it gave shape to their year. It linked them to the Jewish people, uh, their ancestors, the history, to their community. These feasted. It linked them to their God and to their scripture. And Jesus even participated in these feasts, and he refers to these feasts, and he talks about these feasts. So like at the Lord's Supper, it was Passover. Um, so 
the seven feasts that God uh, commanded Israel to practice, the first one's Passover. And that's, you know, going all the way back to Exodus, the death angel going over. If you um, slaughter a lamb, paint your door uh, post with the blood, um, you know, that, that was Passover. They're celebrating the, 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 their deliverance from Egypt. And they're saving from this angel of death. And um, during this feast, everyone was encouraged to come to Jerusalem. So the whole nation says, hey, come to this one city um, to celebrate. And they would retell these stories from Alexis, Exodus 12 and, and 13. They would read them aloud in an assembly. They would read them aloud at their table with their group um, and retell God's commandments and contemplate together how God had saved them once before. How is God going to save us again? How is he going to bring about this Messiah? Um, but one notable activity was the participation of this sacrificial lamb. They had to sacrifice a lamb. And I think we've probably heard before in some of our classes and studies that Jesus was that sacrificial lamb. But they would share this time together over meals and in Scripture. Okay, so that was Passover. Pretty much at the same time was also the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That would go on for a number of days. Um, and here, Israel would only eat unleavened bread. So bread without yeast. Not the fluffy bread. I was explaining that earlier to somebody. Um, the good bread. Now, they would eat uh, this, this tortilla kind of bread. It, it's flat, crackery, um, you know, not much to it. But the reason they did that they said, you know, God commanded this. There should be no leaven in your house, no unleavened bread. I mean, no leavened bread. You're only eating unleavened bread as a sign of purity. Because when you bring the leaven in, it's a sign of the world's arrogance and pride and sin coming in and it's affecting everything. And so you're only going to eat unleavened bread. Um, it's a picture of sin and contamination, this, this leaven, this hypocrisy of humanity. And so getting rid of it, getting rid of all the, the leaven, so same with your lives. It's a picture of getting rid of it. And it gives you an idea when they were at uh, the, the Lord's Supper, when Jesus said, this is my body, this is the bread he's holding up. Unleavened bread. As a sign that I am the pure one. I am the righteous one. I am the perfect one. You're having to get rid of all this leaven. I am this. And it just kind of gives you a picture of what he was talking about when he says, this is my body. And you also have the ties to the cross um, and his body being broken. He breaks the bread. Um, but the, the feast kept going and it's just a, uh, there'd be a lot more scriptural readings at the unleavened stuff, uh, fe the feast of unleavened bread. Then there was the feast of first fruits, which was the first Sunday after Passover. Um, so you had Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the first Sunday after Passover would be the Feast of First Fruits. Um, it was the celebration of the beginning of the barley harvest. Um, and they would read scripture, like Ezekiel 37 would be one of them, about God bringing life, dry bones to life, a hope that God would restore the life and hearts of, uh, to the nations. And so you follow Jesus' story, you have Passover, the Feast of Unleavened, the first Sunday after. Well, he, he'd been killed on Friday. The first Sunday after Passover, which is three days, he's risen. From, talk about amazing, a, an amazing tie there. Exodus 37, bring dead bones to life. You know, Jesus came back to life and brought hope for everybody. Um, and so there's this amazing connection. So read Ezekiel 37 in light of that. Um, 
And then 50 days after that, uh, Pentecost would come. And Pentecost, you know, it was a Jewish holiday. Um, and it was uh, the, uh, seven weeks after this uh, Feast of First Fruits. It was Pentecost. Um, and it was all about them remembering uh, and celebrating God's coming at Mount Sinai. Okay, so, so picture Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? They show up. God shows up. How does God show up? He covers this mountain in fire and, and cloud, uh, a cloud of fire kind of thing. Um, and then what happens at Mount They're given the Ten Commandments, the law. Okay, so God, that's the set. They're remembering Mount Sinai. Fast forward to the apostles. They're waiting. The Spirit comes upon them on the day of Pentecost. Fire over their tongues of fire. What's written on their hearts now? The law of the Lord, the hope of the Lord is written on. So it's no longer on stone tablets. God's not on a mountain. No, he's in believers. He's in God's, like just these amazing connections. And Jesus, you know, at the end of all this, um, you know, the, comes the next festival. Um, in the fall, Rosh, uh, the Feast of Trumpets. I'm, I'm not going to try to pronounce it right now. Um, the Feast of Trumpets, it's the Jewish New Year. They're celebrating the world's creation. Genesis 1 is on the mind. Um, but it began a, a, a series of days of, of self-examination is this, uh, this time, this feast. Reflection, confession of sin, um, acknowledging God as king, the restor, uh, restorer of, of humanity, God, his kingdom in the garden. Um, and so they're, they're reflecting on all this and who is the ultimate restorer, Jesus, who's bringing us back to the, ult, uh, the original garden, walking with God, Jesus. Um, but the whole purpose of the Feast of Trumpets was to get people ready for the Day of Atonement, which was probably the most important holiday of the year. Um, and, and, and they would come together. Um, everybody stops working. They fast from food and water for 25 hours, and they ask for the forgiveness of their sins um, over, the, over that last year. That's the Day of Atonement. It was the day that the high priest would enter the most holy place, um, and ask God for forgiveness for all the people. Um, and, and so think about the connection to Jesus there. Jesus entered that holy place. He, he went in not only as the lamb, but at the old, as the ultimate high priest in the ultimate temple. And he tore that curtain. He let, he let God loose, in a sense, his spirit loose to dwell in us. Um, and so there's all these little connections. But at all of these feasts, oh, and there's one more. Um, Day of Atonement comes uh, which is great, but uh, five days after that, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they would come, you know, they're in Jerusalem again. They would build these little huts and live in them as a remi- reminder of the Exodus living in the wilderness and how God dwelt with them in the desert, dwelt with them in the tents. Um, and uh, the, God was caring for them. And so they would read these stories and they would look for the day Look forward to the day where God was coming to dwell with them again, because He was dwelling with them in the temple, like, and that's where the the temple tearing um, comes in. Susan, go for it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and so in reflecting on these feasts and having the, 
this is the, are the things that they're thinking about. Okay, God has rescued us before. When is he going to bring that Messiah? When is, and he showed up. Jesus showed up, and he fulfills all these feasts. But there's a few things happening here that not just tying to Jesus like we talked about last week, but they're coming together as a community. They're participating in meals. They're having this fellowship, and they're talking about Scripture. They're engaging Scripture together at every single one of these feasts. Three of them, they were required or highly encouraged to travel to Jerusalem. The whole nation. Everybody. Three of them. And then the others were so close to the, those three that they were just usually still in Jerusalem at that point. Um, and so they're celebrating not just with their family, their brothers, sisters, their parents. No, they're celebrating with the entire Israelite community. This is the community that the Bible was written to be engaged in. They were engaging the Bible in this kind of way. Deuteronomy 31 kind of paints this picture um, for us. Um, so Moses wrote this law, gave it to the priest, the son of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to all the elders of Israel. And then Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, and this was the, the year of remission of debts, um, at the Feast of Booths, so that's that, that uh, last one that we just talked about, when all of Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, which ends up being the temple um, in Jerusalem later on, you shall read this law in front of all of Israel in their hearing. So at the end of every se- so they're having scriptural readings seven times a year in, a, in, in some kind of assembly. But every seven years, they're all coming together, and you're going to read this whole thing. Um, now, was it all five books or just a portion of it? That doesn't really matter in this setting right now. But... I want you to see that they were guided, they were encouraged to hear the law of the Lord together completely every seven years at the very least. Um, And what's interesting, in verse 12, it says, Assemble the people, the men, the women, the children, and the alien, the stranger, the foreigner who is in your town, so that they may all hear and learn and fear the Lord your God. And be careful to observe all the words of the, this law, their children who have not known will hear and learn, from, uh, learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. And so it's setting them up. Like, hey, spend time in the scripture. They didn't have their own scrolls. They didn't have their own Bibles. They had to discuss it, memorize it, recite it. And so what's really interesting here is, is there's this kind of encouragement from Moses to do this every seven years. It's recorded once, maybe another time, but you don't ever see it pop up again. No wonder you get to the point where you do with the judges. No wonder you get to the point you do with exile because they weren't dwelling in the scripture together. Um, is one one part of that. Um, and so, you know, three times a year, they're traveling to Jerusalem to the temple, celebrating together, engaging scripture together, and being a community of God's people, Jesus did all of this. He fulfilled all of this and is fulfilling all this and will fulfill all of this. Um, But it was a community thing. It wasn't by yourself. It wasn't a reflection just by yourself or a celebration just by yourself. It was, it, it affects you. You're part of this, but it's not about you. It's about everyone it's about everyone the whole point was for the community to engage the bible together to be shaped by scripture together and so they wrote it in a way to be heard by the community 
and for things to stick out when you hear it, when you memorize it, when you recite it. So like last week, the, the story of David and Goliath. You, you have the bronze, which is a, a four-letter word, and then serpent, which is a three-letter word, but they start the same. Bronze just has an extra letter. When you memorize that and you recite that, and when these root word, this root word and, and this word, they tie together, you start to wonder. And there's so many other places in Scripture where it's like this. Where these words, now, now we don't know Hebrew, so it makes it a lot harder for us. I'm not saying go learn Hebrew. I don't know really much Hebrew at all. I just love to study it. Um, but that was the setting the Bible was written in. So when you would hear it, engage it, memorize it, and recite it, you would, you, you would hear it not only in your ears but your heart. You would hear it in a group. You would discuss it in a group. But certain things would stick out and it would lead you to this Messiah. And we'll talk about that more in a few weeks. Um, but on page five, uh, we come to this, this idea of culture shock because our culture is very different than the setting of Israel at that time. We live in a very individualistic uh, culture. If you listen to Brother Mike's sermon today, he talked about recognizing the culture that we live in. We live in a lost culture, a culture concerned only about ourselves. Um, you know, Disney is, is, is one of the leading uh, one of the leaders of all this, you know, teaching kids and teens and, and adults, you know, that you're, you're important, that you don't have to fit into a mold, that, um, you know, you can be whoever you want. You can be proud of who you are, proud of yourself, um, and some very good and powerful lessons that I don't necessarily disagree with, but it's all about the you. It's all about the me. It's all about the I, the, and it's not about the we. You know, they were engaging in Scripture in community. When they saw uh, Scripture, um, they saw it as an us kind of thing. You know, you think about the church. We talk about our faith, you know, my faith, my growth, my quiet times, my walk with Jesus. A very individualistic, like it's all about me and Jesus, which is important. You're only saved by your faith. But they saw a community aspect that I think we miss out in our culture. Um, and again, I'm not saying that we do everything wrong in our, in our church or anything like that, but if we want to engage the Bible more like Jesus, we need to start engaging it in a community setting. You know, no wonder we struggle to connect certain, with certain stories because it's not about me. Or no wonder we struggle with evangelism because we don't know how to engage with people. Or no wonder we struggle with discipleship because we don't know how to sit down and talk about Jesus with somebody else. Um, you know, we, we, we struggle with this idea that, you know, it's a, it has to be like, if I'm not being fed, then I have to go somewhere else. Or like in even our classes, this is a perfect example. The way I designed the study was not for me to be teaching the whole time, but time limits that. Um, and so it's very much me teaching. It's not a group effort, if that makes sense. In their settings, it was a group effort. Um, and I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, there's a quote on page five I want to, to kind of quote. Um, in church, we sit together and sing together and greet one another cheerily as we leave at the end of service. We do all these things, sometimes for years, without forming any real personal Christian relationships. Our words often seem superficial. The church, therefore, becomes a place where Christians live alone together. Look at uh, Daniel 9 here. Um, after the lion's den, um, this upstanding guy, Daniel, he's just been rescued um, because of his faithfulness to prayer. 
uh, to God. And, and, and here's what he has to pray. It says in the first year of Darius, um, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of, of uh, in the books, the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to the Jeremiah, the prophet. We kind of looked at this a couple weeks ago. This is the 70 years that they're going to spend in exile. Um, and he's like, after I figured this out, um, I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed and said, At last, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, um, to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Daniel, the guy who got everything right, you know, he's one of the books that there's nothing bad written about Daniel. Um, he's saying, we have sinned. We messed up. If there's anybody in the story of Daniel that doesn't need to be asking forgiveness, it's Daniel. But he's not doing it just because he messed up. No, he's connecting himself to all his community, to his people, we instead of I. Another example is Nehemiah. Nehemiah does this um, just as much. He, he prays with the us in mind. And this is how they saw their role, their part in the larger community. Um, there's a little story in your hand, uh, handout. It talks about uh, this person named Lois. She went to Israel, visited a, a class of Orthodox Jewish boys, um, teenage boys and the boys took her uh, on an informal tour of their school their synagogue and they brought a pair of antique scrolls out they placed them down they were proud about it as they opened them somebody asked them you know what they've been studying this week and their antique there's no uh in these scrolls there was no verse numbers or chapters so it took them a moment to find it but they did and they described uh this week's scripture their study what they were studying and here's what they said We've, we've been reading the story of how God brought us out of Egypt and saved us from the Egyptians. Thousands of years ago that happened. So it's not about you, kids. What do you, what do you mean? No, they said us because they saw themselves, their, them as their classmates, as the ones who were crossing through the Red Sea along with Moses and the Israelites. They understand that when they were reading the story, when they're reading the stories in Scripture, it's about us. Not them and me, us. What does it have to do with me? This story is my story. Each chapter is for me. See, we are just as much a part of the Israelite story. Um, uh, you know, we are just as much. And if we start to read the Bible in that kind of perspective, that it's about us, it changes what we get out of it. You know, the issue with our typical methods of engaging the Bible is because is, is that sometimes we are the only person that we will uh, consult on truth. We are the only person that we will consult on truth, and the only experience that we will evaluate is our last 10 minutes to decide whether that story fits us or not, whether it's true or not. Okay, yeah, I think it's true. Uh, that doesn't apply to me because I don't feel like I, uh, I'm there. There's a quote, one, another quote on page six. 
A Christian who has David in his bones, Jeremiah in his blood, Paul in his fingertips, and Christ in his heart will know how much and how little value to put on his own momentary uh, feelings and experiences of the week. To remain willfully ignorant of Abraham wandering in the desert, the Hebrews enslaved in Egypt, David battling the Philistines, Jesus arguing with the Pharisees, and Paul writing to the Corinthians is like saying, I refuse to remember that when I kicked that black dog last week, it bit my leg. If I don't remember it in the next fit of anger, I will kick him again and get bitten again. In Jesus' day, that's how they prayed. That's how they engaged scriptures. That's how they saw their world as we instead of me. And so we come to this ideal Bible study. How can we have the ideal Bible study? What does it mean for us? How can we begin to read the Bible like Jesus, to read it as communal literature? Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. This is the Shema. The Shema means hear, listen. It's the first word in this, this uh, thing. Um, it was a daily prayer that the Jewish people prayed in Jesus' day. They would pray this daily. Um, and, and maybe it's something we need to think about and return to. Even Jesus grew up praying this. Um, and it's full of meaning. It's full of this dedication and this community-type prayer, this community-type engagement um, and it has the capacity to reshape our lives, to reshape the way we uh, engage Scripture. And so it starts off with here, to listen, the Shema. And, and, and this word, it means more than just hearing with your ears. All of its uses and all of its definition, based on biblical definition, it, it's more than just hearing with your ears. It means to allow these words to sink in, to hit your art, to provide understanding, but generate a response. Um, you know, to hear Scripture in their hearts as well as their ears. Therefore, Jewish people didn't normally read uh, Scripture silently. They recited it. They spoke it out loud. Well, they also didn't read it too often, but they would memorize it and recite it. And so they're, they're meditating on it. And we're going to get to that more in a few weeks, but this idea of meditating is, is muttering, it's growling, it's, it's you know, saying out loud what you know in your head so that it gets to your heart and it generates a response. Um, and then maybe this is something that we can do, is reading the Bible out loud. You want to read bi- the Bible as communal literature, there's one option. Read the Bible out loud, or listen to it out loud. That's been something I've been doing the last uh, week or so. Um, it's just in the mornings when I'm feeding Carissa, because I, I can't do anything else, I put, push play on the Bible, and it's being read to me. I'm hearing it. Um, you know, you know, once again, in Hebrew, we miss out on some things, but that's still beneficial. It was still designed for us to be heard, uh, for, for us to hear it. Um, and so, you know, what, what's interesting about this word, once again, it communicates more than just reading it out loud or hearing it with your ears. It communicates uh, uh, this understanding of, uh, of attention. We need to hear, oh, Israel, get our attention. Um, but we need to also obey this idea of obedience but also um sharing it telling it um and so if we if we kind of keep going through this verse it kind of hits on each of these a little bit more but this picture of not just hearing it and getting our attention but walking in obedience and then sharing it together telling it gathering and proclaiming it 
Um, and so it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. You shall love. It's an action. It's a commitment. Not just an emotion or just an idea. Love is an action, a commitment. This is the obedience piece. We're not just meant to hear it, but we're meant to live it, to obey it, to move into action. Um, you know, James talks about how... Uh, Prove yourself doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. We're meant to respond in action. We're meant to live it out. Um, And so when it says, you know, love, okay, I'm supposed to hear scripture and, and respond in action. It keeps going. It says, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, written on your heart. And the, the idea I kind of want to I want to put out here is to read it and read it and read it again. To have something on your heart means you must be focused on it. You must crave it. You must desire it. Otherwise, it's just an idea in your mind. To have it on your heart, that's a picture that's being painted here, is, is to read it, read it, read it again. The Bible was designed to be read, reread, reflected on, and read again. And we're going to spend more time just on that idea here in a couple of weeks when, it, when we come to meditation literature. But how, how do we do that? Well, we engage the Bible. We need to do it often. Um, and, and sometimes we feel guilty because we feel like we don't read the Bible enough. I want to come back to that idea in a moment. But uh, how else can we do that? Well, read it in different translations. You, there used to be a point where I would tell you this, these are the best translations, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of moving away from that. Because I figured out when it comes to translating from Hebrew to English, we lose so much to start with that over the course of engaging multiple translations, we get a fuller picture of what these words mean, of what these passages mean. And so if we can engage it in multiple translations, that's one way of engaging the Bible in a, in, in communal, in a communal way. You're engaging um, multiple believers and groups of believers who spent time creating that translation. You know, that's part of the fellowship of the body. You know, you're participating in their work by engaging it. Um, Another way of practicing this is listening to multiple teachers. If you just listen to me, what if I make a mistake or I purposely lead you astray? You have no proof or or no way to, to figure out if I'm on the right path or not. So you need to be listening to Mike and to Chris and to all of our teachers in Sunday school and uh, maybe others. Listen to multiple teachers, multiple sources, multiple settings, multiple groups, opportunities for reading in community. The fullness of the Bible is experienced through a diverse yet unified community of Bible readers. And so all these ways are good for getting started with this idea of reading the Bible as communal literature, but it's missing something. It's so easy to do all of those on your own. And we just talked about over and over again, they didn't do it on their own. You know, this is the whole point of the lesson. Both we and the Bible were designed for community, for relationships. And so we get to this part where it says, You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. You get all these little action words of 
you shall do it this way and this way. And you shall talk about it. You shall engage people. And so on your handout here, what I have written is teach, talk, bind, and write. Get yourself some Haverine and some Tommy Dean. And you're like, okay, he's just being weird at this point. And I am. Um, it's Hebrew words. Um, Haverim is a Hebrew word for friends, and specifically friends who, that are fellow disciples who earnestly desire, desire to, to grapple over issues of faith, who desire or, and want somebody to dive into God's word together. Haverim are the kind of people we need, people to read scripture together. It, it, it's kind of like having a spiritual jogging partner. Uh, I told the Yam group in high school, me and a, a buddy went running with one of our friends, and she was in uh, cross country. <laughs> we were not. We were in band. A um, little bit different. But when we're running with her, plus she's a girl, we're guys, so we have to be, you know, we're, we're keeping up. We're dying at the same time, but, we're, but she's challenging us. We need spiritual jogging partners, people to run with that sometimes will outpace us. And so we got to catch up, and then sometimes we'll outpace them, and we can help them catch up. Um, we need to read the Bible in community in multiple ways. You know, notice that it talks about, you know, uh, teach it to your sons, to your kids, to your daughters. It should be a family thing. A family activity is reading the Bible together. At Passover, Jewish families would engage Scripture together. They would share the testimonies of, of God working in their culture, in their life, in their community. What if our families at every Thanksgiving or something like that made it a goal to just share our testimony, uh, how God is working in our life that year? You know, what if we brought the Bible back into our marriages? That would make a huge impact on the way our Christian marriages play out. Talk about it with your friends, your family, your, your kids, your, your spouse. Um, it says you shall talk about it when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Man, discuss the Bible uh, with your, your family in the mornings, with your friends over lunch, around meals and fellowship settings. See, the, the whole idea here is that they were experiencing true Bible fellowship. Fellowship in the Bible, Bible fellowship. It's not just a, a, a Christmas party where we play shuffleboard and have a deacon's meeting here in a little. No, it, it was this idea of sitting down. Yes, we're having fun and we're eating, but we're also discussing, reading, engaging in Scripture together. This was the Bible fellowship that they had in mind that they participated in. And all these passages that we explored kind of hit on that. And so how do we do this? Well, maybe you need to host a feast. And do some reading together. And maybe talk about it together. Or maybe when you sit down for dinner here in a little bit, say, hey, this scripture stuck out to me this morning in the sermon or in Sunday school or this week. The scripture of the day on the Bible app. Let's just talk about it for a minute. Or maybe some of the things, you know, plug into your Sunday school group. That's one way you can have Bible fellowship where you're engaging the Bible together. Um, and, and, and there's so many other ways to do it. You can go for a walk and pray like Daniel did, but do it with somebody. Um, and it goes on, it says, you shall bind them as a sign on your, your, for, uh, your hand, and they shall be frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost and your gates. And this is kind of where I get the, the idea of read, with, uh, read the Bible with Tommy Dean. So you need to read it with friends who are going to challenge you, but also disciples. Now don't run away because I just said the D word, disciple. Um, a lot of people get kind of intimidated by that word, discipleship. Yeah, personal discipleship, I can, I can do that. But me actually discipling somebody else, 
coming along somebody else and saying, hey, imitate me, like Paul did. Um, and, and, and don't let that idea intimidate you. Um, just become a friend in Jesus with somebody. But it, it talks about everything that you do, coming alongside one another, engaging Scripture in community. You know, and, and, and instead of viewing yourselves as the rabbi or the teacher and considering somebody else as the uh, disciple or the student, just become co-disciples with somebody that could just use that. You know, at the men's retreat, this is something I talked about. The need for discipleship in our church, in our community, in our, you know, the, the whole body of Christ. Uh, another idea um, that you could participate in is debate the bible like jesus did now we have some people that they just love doing this they love debating or challenging um, or start you know stirring us up um, but this is it's exactly what jesus did when jesus was you know i think 12 and he got he ran away didn't run away but he got lost they found him in the temple and what was going on in the temple they were amazed at the questions and the answers that he was giving. He was debating. That was the form of, of learning back then. They would throw a topic out there and you speak on it. Okay, but I have this idea. Well, I hear, I want to chime in and throw this out there. And they would grow together. You know, in our typical uh, studying standards, you know, it's, okay, let me grab that book. I'm going to go study by myself. I'm going to take it. No, they, they did it together. They debated scripture. And that's another um, option. But the last thing I think I have highlighted there is be shaped by the Bible with others. Be shaped by the Bible with others. What I mean here is as you display your faith and your questions, the way that you process through a study or a passage, let people be a part of that. You know, one of the things that I, I like to do is, is somebody that I, I, you know, I know wasn't in Bible study with me, maybe not even in church with me, like, hey, I was studying this. It says this. What do you think about it? And I'm inviting them, not so I'm like, okay, I'm going to set them up and then I'm going to put Jesus right here and then they're going to come to the, no, that's not my plan. I just want to engage in scripture with you. I want to invite you into this idea of reading the Bible in community. Let people be a part of that. And and I think that's such a, a valuable thing. One of my favorite opportunities of, of just being a a co-disciple or having Haverim was at Brownwood, I got to be a part of this Bible study. And all we did was we ate, which helped. We ate, and then we read Acts. That was our goal. We were just reading Acts, but we didn't teach on it. We, we just discussed it, asked some questions, and just talked about it. And then we prayed. And that's it. You know, there was no master teaching time. There was no big sermon. There was no, that was it. There was no handouts. Um, and it was so powerful because we were being shaped together. We were engaging together. We were growing together. So ask a stranger, a neighbor, or a coworker, man, hey, engage the Bible with me. Get practicing engaging the Bible in community. And when we talk about the Bibles, you know, this is, this is what's interesting is, is sometimes we're like, man, I, I know I need to read the Bible more. Well, when you think about it, and we should, we need to read the Bible more. Um, but when you think about it, they couldn't. They were never in a place, the Jewish people way back in the day, they were never in a place to read the Bible more because they couldn't read it. So how did they do it? How did they accomplish that standard, that check mark that we feel like we have to check? They talked about it, which is to me an incredibly freeing idea 
that, yes, I was in the Bible today. I never opened it, didn't get on my app, but I talked about it with somebody. Maybe that counts. Maybe that helps you, encourages you where you're at. See, we need the Spirit-filled community, engaging the Word together, interpreting and applying it together. Just think about it. The fullness of the body of Christ, reading the Bible, versus just you reading the Bible. Who's going who's gonna to get further? The fullness of the Bible is experienced through a diverse yet unified community of Bible readers. And so, if you want to read the Bible as communal literature, where it's all about the community who formed it, all about the community who engaged it, or engages it, and it's all about the community who is shaped by it. That's how we read it as communal literature. So here's the thing. Your practice in Ruth this week Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm shaking it up. Not only do you have a handout and homework because I'm a mean teacher, but no, I'm going to make you do a group project. Um, so if you're like me, you didn't like that. I'd rather do my own work. But no, engage Ruth with somebody else. And let me encourage you not to do it in the ways that you've already done it. If you're good at reading the Bible with your spouse, that's awesome. Keep doing that, but that doesn't count. Challenge yourself, push yourself. Or if you're not good at that, man, read the Bible with your spouse. Or if you're not good at reading it with your family, your kids, or, or your parents, do that. Or find a friend. Read it with somebody else. Engage. You know, read it. Talk about it. There's several different ways you can go about it, but don't do it alone. The Bible was meant to be engaged in in community. And so that's going to be my challenge for you. So let me, let me pray, and then I want to wrap up and give you the option of one more little way you can practice this um, today. So, Father God, just... Thank you for the community that, that has, uh, you know, bore, both formed your word, but also uh, created and designed it in a way that we, it was designed to, so that we would engage it together. You talk about how the body of Christ, your body is, is all these different parts, and it works best when we work together, when we're in it together. So God, when it comes to your scripture, when it comes to um, you When it comes to this community, may we do it together. May we engage the Bible in community and see how just that way, that idea of reading the Bible like Jesus did in that way shapes us and transforms some things in our lives. That we may be shaped together and grow together. God, thank you and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.